You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Today is Tuesday. October 7th. That's the day this show comes out. October 7th also happens to be my birthday. My birthday doesn't always fall on a podcast day, but this year it did. And this Tuesday, October 7th, also happens to be a significant birthday. I am turning, holy fucking shit, 50. I am 50 this Tuesday. I'm already getting hate mail about it, which is, you know, what people do. They send you hate mail. Um, making fun of me for turning 50, for being old, for being an old faggot. And people are saying this to me in hate mail uh, to be hateful, also with this assumption that this makes me very sad to be 50. And I just want to say to these people that you have no idea. You have no idea how delighted I am to be turning 50 and what a privilege it is for a gay man of my generation to turn 50, to be here, to be this old. Do you know how many dead guys I know, guys I know who died in their 20s and 30s who would love to be here still and pushing or turning or having pushed or turned 50 already? Hundreds of thousands of gay men died in the 80s. Hundreds of thousands died. Many of them, dozens and dozens, guys I knew, my peers, boyfriends, good friends, close friends, Crystal Lane, a performer here in Seattle that I did shows with, amazing drag queen, singer, an MC, died. Crystal would love to be here, turning 50. Crystal probably would have turned 50 a few years ago, had Crystal not died. So I am delighted. It is a privilege. And I'm not sad about this. I have a lot of anniversaries coming up in the next few weeks, few years, uh, the 25th anniversary of the, the, my column coming into existence, that's coming up in a couple of years. Terry and I will have been together 20 years this January. My kid is pushing 18 soon. There's a lot of big birthdays and dates and anniversaries rolling around in the next couple of years. And I am happy about it. I am thrilled about it. And I don't want to come across as defensive. I don't want to open the show with saying I've gotten some hate mail from haters about – my birthday, I get hate mail from haters every goddamn day. I hardly ever talk about it. I just wanted to let those haters who do send those notes to know that it bounces off, girl. Try harder. Go deeper. My birthday, turning 50, when you're a faggot who came out in 1980 to turn 50, isn't terrifying. They're all bonus years. I was convinced when I was 25, that I would not see 30. And I was convinced when I was 30, I would not see 35. So these are all bonus years, and I am enjoying the shit out of them. I have a crazy husband who I love. I have a crazy kid who I love. I have a really great job and gig and life, and things are good, and things are sweet. And you know what I want for my birthday? Those of you out there listening to the sound of my voice who are appalled at the haters, don't rush to send me a nice note about turning 50. I, I don't need nice notes either. I'm actually, I don't celebrate birthdays and I never really have. Um, so I'm not really doing anything for my birthday. I don't want anything for my birthday. Maybe some cake, send me cake. I don't really want anything for my birthday. What I want you to do, the one thing you could do for me for my birthday, if you like me, vote. November, the, the election, the midterm elections. I swore I would talk about it constantly and I've hardly bothered you about them at all. It's coming up a month away. 
The Senate hangs in the balance. State and House races and governor's mansions all over the country also hanging in the balance. All the shit that went down after 2010, all the attacks on reproductive freedoms, on women's rights. What helped make that happen? That Republican surge? Democratic voting constituencies don't turn out to vote in midterm elections. We show up. Women, young people, urban people, people of color reliably turn out for presidential elections, for the big glamour elections that we all get sort of swept up in the drama of. And we don't turn out for the prosaic, boring state, House, Senate, U.S. Senate, governor races in the midterms. And we have seen that this is very, very important, these midterm elections. So this is what I want for my birthday. I want you to go fucking vote. I want you to get registered to vote if you're not already registered to vote. If you live in a state where Republicans have made voting harder, go find someone whose voter registration has been challenged or doesn't have the ID that they need to vote and help that person, that person who's probably elderly or poor, help that person get the ID that they need to clear the fucking hurdles that have been put in their way by Republicans who know that they only win or that they're likelier to win when people can't vote, get that person to the polls, get that person registered and help block the insanity. Insanity like the new law in Alabama, which is probably the result of the 2010 Republican takeover of everything, but there's a new law in Alabama that allows district attorneys to subpoena people in court to testify against a young girl who is trying to get an abortion, a woman who is trying to get a judicial bypass to get around a parental notification law that a district attorney can subpoena her employers, her boyfriend, her friends, teachers to come into court and testify against her to try to block that girl's choice to terminate a pregnancy. Young women who are terminating pregnancies who cannot inform their parents Often they have been brutalized by their parents. They may have been raped by a parent. It could have been incest. They could have a parent who will throw them out. They may have a parent who will abuse them physically if they find out that they're sexually active. That is why young women go and get judicial bypasses in states that have these horrible restrictions. Now, Alabama, to get that judicial bypass, we're going to subpoena your boyfriend. We're going to subpoena your teacher, your friends, your employer. We're going to subpoena all the people in your life but your parents to make sure your parents find out. And guess what? What else is going on in Alabama right now? The fetus gets a lawyer. Not a fetus lawyer. Maybe it should be a fetus lawyer. If a fetus needs a lawyer and a fetus is a person, then why not a fetus with a law degree? But the fetus also gets a lawyer. So you're a young, scared, 15-year-old girl. Maybe you were raped by your dad or one of your dad's friends. You go to court and there's a district attorney working against you. There's your fetus's lawyer representing your fetus. And called into court, testify against you, your boyfriend, your best friend, your teacher, your employer, your next-door neighbor, everybody that they can drag into court to ensure that you are outed to your dad in the end as having sought this abortion. Appalling. So what do I want for my birthday? I want the motherfuckers who are pushing laws like this through thrown out of office. It's all I want for my birthday. And I want to make sure that no more motherfuckers who would push laws like this through get their asses elected. So October 7th, it's my birthday. First week of November, a month away, the election. Please register to vote for me, for my birthday as a present. If you're already registered to vote and you're going to vote, find somebody whose right to vote is being blocked, help them get registered, get them to the polls, get them to vote too. 
all I want for my birthday. That and haters to drop fucking dead. And now your calls. Hey, Dan, I'm calling about my best friend and I. He and I uh, used to hang out with each other all the time, and uh, I recently moved across the country. Um, we uh, shared a lot of experiences with girls. Uh, he, he and I went through very tough breakups around the same time, um, and he's the type of guy that really gives his own relationships and will give uh, every girl that he's with the benefit of the doubt. He recently started seeing somebody that I'm kind of not cool with. Now, I haven't met this girl since we live in different states, but I just get really bad vibes. Uh, There's a huge age gap. She's in her early 20s. He's in his late 20s. And she has a child. She doesn't come across very well on social media. Her posts are all very self-centered. It's pretty much all selfies. Um, And there just seems to be an evident lack of intelligence there. Um, The last girl that he dated was very, very egocentric and really wouldn't give anything to him. And he just gave and gave and gave. And I could see how much it hurt him and broke him down. To a certain extent, I get that maybe that's just his thing, but I really don't want to see him hurt in the same way that he was before. Um, I realize that I'm kind of being a dick and judgmental, but at the same time, I am looking out for him and it's made talking to him really hard. I just don't have this enthusiasm about this new relationship that I normally would. Um, So I'm having a hard time communicating with him. I kind of just want to know, is this something that I'm just going to have to suck it up and deal with? Um, I've told him how I felt about this girl and he understands my concerns and he respects them, but it's just hard for me to act like I'm cool with everything. Um, I, I do want to try and visit them and meet her and see if my opinion changes. But for the time being, it's it's hard. I also don't want down the line to be uh, to be a situation where he says to me after things fall apart, why didn't you say anything? Well, I'm saying something. Anyway, I just want to know if you or your listeners had any advice about this kind of situation, uh, particularly with friends and um, and seeing somebody that they're dating maybe far from a distance, uh, only knowing them through social media. Could I be proven wrong? You're being a dick. So am I. It's early. We're recording the podcast a little earlier than we normally would, so we're all being dicks today, so we're in this dickishness together. Uh, it's not a huge age gap, early 20s, late 20s. If people were judged solely by how they come across on social media, everyone, almost everyone, uh, to a man, woman, and dog with an Instagram account comes across like sort of vapid and self-involved and not too bright. If you just go by my husband's Instagram account, to take one example, he's a shirtless man who lives in my kitchen. And he's so much more than that. He's occasionally a shirted man who leaves the house. You don't have to have enthusiasm about this relationship. I do think friends have a responsibility to speak their mind. Uh, one of the things, you know, love is blind. That's a cliche and that's fucking true. And one of the things we rely on our friends for is, uh, you know, a little input and sometimes a, a slap upside the head. And those remonstrances can be gentle. You can go to him and say, yeah, she, you know, I'm sure she's lovely in person. You're dating her. But remember your last girlfriend who was kind of awful in this particular way? Is she awful in that same particular way? And that gives him the opportunity to defend her or to assess her and maybe you'll open his eyes. But maybe she's not that way. Maybe she just comes across as vapid in social media. But you are going to have to 
suck this up in your words. And I realize that this is hard for you, also your word. Uh, but this ain't your dick and it ain't your girlfriend and it ain't your relationship and you don't live near them. And you seem a little creepily overinvested in your good friend's romantic life. Maybe you're just invested in him emotionally. You have a great friendship. You don't want to see him get hurt. You saw him get hurt before. Something about this girl vibes in the same way that the last girl who hurt him vibed. Your response your duty as a friend, bring it up. And then if he decides to continue to date her, even if in your eyes that is continuing to put your hand on the hot stove, you have to shut your fucking mouth and let him date the girl. Otherwise, you're going to come across as a monkey-wrenching, meddling, overly, creepily, emotionally invested weirdo. And you don't want to come across like that any more than this girl probably wants to come across on social media as vapid and boring. Hi, Dan. I am a bisexual 25-year-old female, and I am experimenting with a menage a trois with an ex-boyfriend of mine or a man that I used to date. Um, and a new woman that he's been seeing for a while. And I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to sort of explore my bisexuality in this way, um, to sort of feel out the balance of this kind of relationship. But I'm also really new to it, and I think we all are. Uh, I was wondering if you had any recommendations for, you know, um, ways to make sure that you balance time between all partners, um, making sure that sex consistently is positive and on the up and up. I don't know. I read a lot about polyamory, but I feel like this is different. So any advice you could give, I would really appreciate it. You're actually following some of the advice I give people who are thinking about finding a three-way, which is often it is better to go with someone you know or someone you've known or even someone you've dated. An ex is a great choice as a third. They're a known quantity and a discarded quantity. That's why they're an ex. But if you're on friendly terms and there's still some sexual connection, that's a great sort of joyous thing to share with someone, your current partner and your ex-partner. The other stuff is, you know, communicate and anybody can call a halt and everybody has to take each other's feelings into consideration and the couple doesn't treat the special guest star if indeed it's a couple having a three-way as opposed to three individual and single individuals having a three-way. The couple has to take the third's feelings into consideration. They are a human being too. They have needs and desires and fantasies of their own and the couple needs to be considerate. It's also a good idea if you're a couple who's thinking about having a three-way and one or the other, both of you are nervous about how you're going to react emotionally, is at least the first time declare a whole bunch of things off limits. Even if it seems arbitrary, even if it is arbitrary, seeing your partner, honor your limits, honor your restrictions, keep vaginal, for instance, just for you, uh, not try to renegotiate mid three-way, uh, something that you guys declared off the menu that night, uh, just that can make somebody, uh, the honoring of even arbitrary restrictions uh, or rules can make somebody feel so much more comfortable and safe with their partner as they explore three-way sex. Because it just says that first time out of the gate, I will take care of you. I will prioritize our relationship. I will not do anything as we go on these sexual adventures together uh, that is inconsiderate uh, to you and your primacy, if it's indeed a couple situation. The thing that you raised and that interested me about your call and I want to talk about was this idea of balancing the sex between the two or three partners. It's a really good idea when you're going to have a three-way, uh, particularly if you're going to have many three-ways, to so just accept there will be moments of imbalance. And probably if you have regular three-ways with this couple, if you become their regular third, there will be nights of 
imbalance where two people kind of don't begin to ignore the third, but two people get a groove going that isn't necessarily the kind of sex that a third person can jump in. And if you can't picture yourself, you know, laying next to your partner and the other person in bed, propped up on your elbow, watching and enjoying the watching, enjoying what they're up to, maybe three ways aren't for you because those moments are going to happen. And if when you think about those moments, they make you panic and freak out because then it's not all equally balanced. Maybe three ways aren't for you. And with a little story, friends had a three-way, not friends, somebody who wrote me in Savage Love had a three-way. I basically gave the standard advice and they wrote back uh, later with this example of what went down, what happened in a three-way. Uh, hetero three-way, uh, guy was fucking the guest star, the uh, very special third, a uh, very special guest, while the wife was kind of not in that, not, not involved in that and was watching and the husband is fucking, fucking, fucking their third and he's about to come and he looks at his wife who was steaming, was beginning to get a little upset, beginning to feel a little left out and the husband looked at his wife when he was about to come, locked eyes with her and said, I love you so much and she was back in it and she felt really good about what had just happened and she felt good that she hadn't interrupted at that moment uh, and, you know, knocked them off their groove or communicated how sort of a little panic she was getting about the imbalance because he acknowledged in that moment that all of this fun and excitement wouldn't be happening if not for her, if not for the relationship that they had. So people having three ways, remember you can include your partner verbally, visually, um, and sometimes verbal and visual inclusion is the balance that you're going to get. And that has to be good for you. And if that isn't good for you, if a three-way becoming a two-way momentarily is going to upset you or freak you out, don't have three ways because that invariably and inevitably happens. And if you know yourself to be the sort of person who's going to flip when the three-way becomes the two-way, then you're just setting a trap for yourself or your partner by even contemplating having a three-way. Hi. I have been sexting and phone sexting with an ex-boyfriend pretending to be a different woman. And it has been unbelievably hot. And he doesn't know that it's me. And um, I'm just trying to figure out if I should reveal myself because he thinks that I'm another woman entirely. But it's so hot. And I'd like to get the payoff. But I'm afraid that it's restraining order-crazy behavior. So then... Tell this poor girl what to do. Would a guy think that this is hot? Or would he think that I should be committed? I just don't know. Thanks. Bye. I think you should text your ex and, uh, you know, in your persona as some other woman that he doesn't know uh, and make a date. Make a date to meet him in a bar where he can wait with high hopes and he'll watch you walk into the place and he'll know your smile in an instant. He'll know the curve of your face and then he'll realize it's his own lovely ex lady and he'll say, oh, it's you. Then you'll laugh for a moment and say, I never knew. This is like a crazy 80s pop song. This is like the Pina Colada song, which I'm badly paraphrasing here from memory. And the question is, what do you do with it? I tried to call you back. I uh, couldn't get you, so I'm going to have to fly blind here. Do you think he wants to fuck you? After finding out maybe that you've been fucking with him, do you think his reaction will be, I want to fuck you? Or do you think he'll be angry that this fictional lady who likes pina coladas doesn't exist and that you've been 
toying with him and teasing him. That really is the info that you need to decide whether or not you're going to try to upgrade this from anonymous, fictitious, lying flirtation and misrepresentation to uh, getting back on his deck. So ask yourself that question. What are the odds, do you think, that he wants to get with you again, perhaps for an FWB thing this time since the R thing didn't work out last time, uh, versus the odds that he'll be so mortified, embarrassed, upset at being played like this and angry about being made a fool of because your enjoyment in this and you having all this knowledge that he didn't have, you knowing who you were and knowing who he was, he may regard that as a violation of his privacy, of his erotic imagination, of his hopes and dreams for the woman that he thought he was talking to or not. He may be like, yay, that was hilarious. And I seem to recall that you like making love at midnight in the dunes on the Cape so let's plan our escape. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old gay guy living in Florida, and I have a question about living with an ex. My roommate and I started hooking up back in January. Um, things were kind of on and off for about a month or two. We would hook up, and then he would be kind of distant for a few days. And, of course, I would lay waiting around for him to want me again. And of course it would happen after waiting for tons of texts to come that there would, there would never come, um, attention that I would never get. Um, and finally he would give it to me after a few days and it would be great. And I would fall for him. It went on like that for probably until, I don't know, March or so, um, when he ended up sleeping with someone else and only told me about it because he got, an STD from that person. And I freaked out at him. We didn't talk for about two weeks. And of course we ended up hooking up again and it continued to go on and off. He would, he would tell me things like, Oh, I'm, I think you might be more into me than I'm into you. And I don't know why, but I was really into him. So I, you know, pushed those things aside and would still hook up with him. It ended for real um, in May when he hooked up with another person and I lost my shit because I thought we had been getting really close. And um, even though he said that we were just friends in my mind, I thought I could convince him that we were meant to be together. And when he wanted to bring the other guy over, it was like the nail in the coffin that, you know, there's never going to be anything between us. So for the last, well, I mean, it's September now. I haven't been talking to him for about a month and a half now just to be like, fuck you for, you know, giving me so many mixed signals and never being honest with me about what you wanted. And I don't know what to do. Our lease is not up until May of 2015. Should I stay where I am? Like I have really cheap rent and it's awesome. Um, but I have to look at his face every single fucking day. Should I stay or should I go? I think you should move out, uh, cheap rent or no cheap rent, however much of an inconvenience that might be to you. Uh, but not for your sake, for his sake, because you're being a dick. Uh, I realize that you wanted more out of this relationship than you could ultimately get. Uh, but you say, you know, characterizing his behavior, fuck you for not being honest with me about what you wanted. But it sounds like he was perfectly and completely honest with you the whole way along, that he wasn't interested in a relationship, that for him this was a fuck buddy thing only, that you were friends, and you were nurturing hopes of perhaps upgrading FWB to a relationship, and that does happen. That's not an irrational hope. But he was very clear 
at every step that he had no romantic interest in you. And then you blew up at him because what he said was what he meant because he used his words and he used them accurately and he used them correctly and you failed to understand them or you failed to believe them or you chose not to believe them and live in hope and that hope isn't always a false hope. And it didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out. And now you blow up at him and give him the silent treatment and glare at him from across the room. And that must be just a horrible way to live for him, for him to live because he was honest with you the whole time that it was only about sex and you consented to that and you agreed to that with false hopes, high hopes, not always rational hopes, but you agreed to that. And then you're furious, so angry at him because he told you the truth and it didn't work out. My advice, if you can't go to him and apologize and say, I should have listened to you and you always said what you meant and, you know, I had hopes and my hopes were frustrated and so I've been a dick for the last month and a half because, you know, I, I really wanted to be with you but I can't be with you. And I, I, I recognize that now and you were truthful and honest with me the whole way and let's be friends who don't fuck now. At least for the rest of the time we're living together, let's be civil and I'm going to stop with this silent treatment bullshit uh, and let's de-escalate, shall we? and be decent to each other. We've fucked each other. We've rimmed each other's holes. We've sucked each other's cocks. The least we can do now uh, for the, however much longer we live together is be polite. We can scrape that up. I can scrape that up if you can scrape that up, and I apologize. That's what you should say to him. If you can't bring yourself to say that to him, you should say, I am moving out, and give him the date. He'll be relieved. Hi, Dan. My 21-year-old brother um, just came out as bi to our family. Um, we're having a huge extended family get-together soon, and I'm sure that there's going to be some talk both in front of him and behind his back about it. I was just wondering if you have any tips about how I can be the best advocate that I can be for him when he's in the room and um, when our family members are talking about him behind his back. On the one hand, I want to tell you uh, not to fight his battles for him, right? He's come out as bi. There's going to be some awkward conversations. He's going to have to do uh, the hard work. On the other hand, it's important for him to have allies. It's important for him to have family support. And it's important for family members who are cool with it and down with it to model that behavior and that acceptance for family members who may have an issue with it. Because if you stand there silently, the family members who have an issue with it or are being dickish about it or hateful or bigoted about it, will assume that you agree with them, otherwise you would speak up. Too often in cases of prejudice, bigotry gets the benefit of the doubt. That if there's a group of white people standing there and somebody says a terribly racist, or a group of men standing there and someone says a terribly sexist thing, or a group of straight people standing there and somebody says a terribly homophobic, biphobic, or transphobic thing, and everybody in that little clique of men, straight people, white people, who disagrees, stays silent, they just default to bigot. Everyone in the room thinks, oh, I am with my fellow bigots because nobody had a problem with that. So you have to, if you're white, straight, men, whatever, you have to speak up or people will think you're a bigot. Do you want people to think you're a bigot? No. So you speak up. So sister, somebody says something shitty about your bi brother. You say, you're wrong. You're ignorant. Knock it off. Love him and support him or fuck the fuck off. The example from my own family uh, you know, when I came out, my mom had a little bit of a problem with it, but about three months later, she let everyone in the family know that anybody who had a problem with me had a much bigger problem with her. And she was the matriarch. And that had a powerful effect on family members who were 
having problems with my cocksucking thing that I just rolled out to my big Catholic family. I had one uncle who said he never wanted to see me again. And my other uncle who was standing there when he said that said, you're lost then. Because that other uncle kind of dug me and I dig that uncle. We're good friends, right? He said, you're lost. He's a good kid. And that was all it took to bring my other uncle around for him to see that his bigoted position was a lonely one, that he was isolating himself. He wasn't going to successfully isolate me or get me cast out of the family. He was going to isolate himself. He was going to create problems not for me, but for him. Not hurt my relationship with my other uncles or with my parents or my siblings, but hurt his relationship with all of those people. So you can do that too. So find that balance. It's like a three-way. Find that balance. you got to find the balance between not rushing in and making your brothers uh, coming out all about you and your feelings, not making it your battle, but being there to stand beside him, take his side, come to his defense, particularly if he's not in the room, come to his defense, lest you default bigot. Hey, Dan, female 22, bisexual here. I am in a hetero relationship now with my boyfriend of about a year and a half. Going in, I let him know that I was bi at one point um, in our relationship. I definitely would want to probably pursue a sexual relationship with a woman, not a romantic one, purely physical. He was totally on board with that, thought it was really hot, loved it. Well, haven't acted on that impulse, but last night, I went on a date, kind of a date, with a girl that I work with who's really fun and great and super hot. We ended up, I told her that we were in a, in a semi-open relationship and we ended up kissing at the end of the night and it was awesome and I loved it. And I came inside and the, I told him, the first thing I told him, he said, oh, did y'all make out? And I was like, yeah, we did. And it was like... I just saw his face fall like he totally wasn't expecting it. I should have told him. I mean, he knew I was attracted to this girl. I didn't tell him that I was planning on kissing her because I, I honestly wasn't. We were just going to the movies. But now he is not dealing with it so well. Just upset, quiet, doesn't really want to talk about it. keeps telling me that everything is fine when I know that it's not so... I would love some advice on how to talk to him about that because he's completely shut down. So it seems to me that there may have been a miscommunication here, obviously. Uh, you seem to think that because you told him he was bi and there would probably be a girl in your future, at least for sex at some point, that he shouldn't have been surprised. You, you assume, you know, you made this assumption that it was okay to do this and he shouldn't be surprised or hurt by it. And part of what you thought, you know, informed your decision to go for it was he said that he thought it would be hot. Knowing straight guys the way I do, I bet that when he said that would be hot, he meant that would be hot to watch. Sure. To be there for, right? That's the assumption yeah, straight guys I mean, who haven't really... Like that before. Okay. So that's the assumption a lot of straight guys who, you know, land the bi-girlfriend make like oh this is awesome i have a bi girlfriend i am going to have three ways with two women yeah yeah and i mean we've talked about it a lot since the incident and he's okay now we actually um he actually opened his mouth right uh -huh. um used his words about it. right used his words his feelings were just really hurt i went into it like 
it was she's just a friend and we were going to the movies and it just kind of it took a evolved turn. into yeah exactly and oh, okay. it's not something that i was expecting um okay and then the, all of a sudden but that, that that's not an excuse you know if anybody who cheated i know i know you know, everybody could make the, uh, it wasn't something I expected to happen argument. I know, I know. Uh, there's I know. a cascade. I made a bad judgment call for sure. Yeah, you made a bad, but but now that he's talking to you about it, is he offering some sort of retroactive blessing? Have you guys processed when and how uh, this is going to be okay with him or whether it's going to be okay with him? And, and good for you for um, at the beginning of the relationship, telling him you were by and laying it out. Yeah. That, that sex with really, women. really, really direct. And yeah, and laying it um, out that sex with women isn't something you're going to go without for the rest of your life to be with him, and he needed to understand that if he's going to be in a relationship with you, and he opted to be in a relationship with you. So he gets that this is something that is the price of admission to be with you, but how you guys fold this into your relationship needs to be negotiated. Absolutely. Um, and I have, I mean, I felt horrible after it actually happened. Like, I was happy, I was elated, and then all of a sudden I was just like, regret mm-hmm. this is not something that i wanted to do without talking to him first and mm-hmm. so um we've we've kind of worked through it. it it's not something that i'm going to pursue um right now i just don't think that he's in a in a spot where he can um be okay with that right now but he hasn't shut off completely about it which is great my only warning to you then as the bi person in this situation you don't want to endlessly incentivize uh, not ever getting okay with it. You know, you, you don't want right. him to understand yeah. that he can prevent you from ever doing this just by kicking the can further and further down the road by saying, I'm not okay with it yet, yeah. I'm not okay with it yet, I'm not okay with it yet. Some people will literally yeah. attempt to run out the clock over the decades, yeah. uh, not just on bi well, shit, but on all sorts of different sexual like a, shit. Like, so understanding and has always accepted me and loved me for who I am. Um, and so... I think that it's a hurdle that we're going to be able to get over. He definitely said, this is something you can do in the the future. I know this is who you are. It just kind of sucks for me. Okay, but why does it suck for him? And how do you make this some aspect of your relationship that there's something in it for him too, whether that's three ways or not, but that's something that he's not pained about the rest of his life. That that loving you means loving this too. Yeah. As opposed to um, I think that's something we're still working on. I when don't he, know. When like, he talk, I don't really have an answer. When he talks about you, when you talk about it happening in the future, do you game out scenarios? Does he presented, uh, you know, situations under which he thinks it would be okay or he wouldn't have a problem with it, or is it all just this vague sort of uh, right now, no good, and I can't even think about it or wrap my head around it, but someday. Um. Yeah, I think he's still pretty hurt, and so talking about it and talking out scenarios. It's even like kind of uncomfortable now when I say, oh, that girl's really pretty. Like, oh, that girl's really hot. Um, It's still kind of like, oh, that's awkward because what happened? (laughs) I don't know. It's it's something that I think we're going to be able to work through, hopefully. If not, then. And how long have you been together again? Uh, Rounding on about two years. And it was only making out that you did? You just kissed a girl and liked it? Yeah, exactly. I would say to your boyfriend, if he were sitting here with me, not that big a deal, right? Not that huge a violation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he her. sees that, like, rationally, but, like, his feelings are still hurt over it because it was something that we didn't talk about. It was something that was really unexpected. Um, okay. And even the way that he found out, I was just, like, busted in the door with a big smile on my face, and I was like, I made out with a girl! And he was just like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, I think that I just went about it all wrong. I think if I went about it, like, in talk to him and kept the door of communication open if I 
All right. Done that. I think he would be fine. Okay, but. you're taking you're taking responsibility for the wrongs you committed. He need yeah. he needs to take responsibility for the forgiveness he's extended to you, which means yeah. you can't live in the by doghouse for the rest of your life about this. Right. That yeah. you are attracted to other women, and you always will be. And he needs to forgive you for you know, getting ahead of yourself or the assumption you made about him being okay with this, which was informed by him saying that he was okay with it, that he thought it was hot. So you ran home excited to tell him about it. And that was just a couple of assumptions that, 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 you know, that, that, that crashed into each other and there were some hurt feelings, but you're taking responsibility for the the shitty assumption you make the incorrect assumption that you made. He needs to take responsibility for the forgiveness he's given you, which is to stop, sulking and pouting and being a baby about it. You just made out with a girl. You, he knew you were going to make out with girls. He told you he thought that was hot and you need to be able to be who you are sexually and joyfully. And he's got to forgive you. He's got to actually live the forgiveness because you don't want to be controlled by someone's big, sad feelings. Right. Oh, I don't let anybody control me. (laughs) It sounds like he's controlling you right now with the big, sad, big, you know, you see a girl and you can't say anything and you, you feel like this is a, uh, you know, a, a, a landmine strewn field you guys are walking through right now about your sexual identity yeah. and desires. Yeah. So tell him to forgive you. Tell him you're done. You know, your, your, your days in the doghouse are over and you're moving forward in a sunny way. And if you see yeah. a pretty girl and you want to say something to him after, you know, enough time has passed. Cause that I, used to be fine. <laughs> like that used to be like a fun thing for us to pick out pretty girls in a crowd or all right, then say, then do it, then do it, do it. Yeah. And look at him and say, I'm sorry, the sulking is over and I'm not, you know, what I did wasn't that awful. What I did was something you told me you thought was hot and sorry that feelings got hurt, but let's move forward. Let's get okay. over it. All right. Good luck. I think that that conversation definitely needs to happen and it will. <laughs> Yeah, I hate it. Uh, you know, it, it's a pet peeve of mine. I hate to rattle on at you about it. It's a pet peeve of mine when oh, no. people say that they've forgiven someone for something, but they behave in ways where they're communicating to that person that they are not forgiven, that they're still in trouble, that they're still, uh-huh. you know, super duper hurt. And, and that's that's not forgiveness. That's that's some other bullshit, the name of which I can't come up with at the moment, but it's not forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye. Hey, Dan. I am a 27-year-old bi girl in New York City, and I have an etiquette question for you. So I'm in a monogamous relationship, but tonight I was out at a bar with my roommate, not my lovely girlfriend, and I happened to strike up with a conversation with um, a couple of guys. It was a nice conversation. I enjoyed it. Just an exchange of ideas. At no point did I feel like I was getting hit on. And then at the end of the conversation, one of the guys asked me for my number and I just gave it to him because I felt weird just being like, I'm in a relationship when he asked that just because the whole conversation felt really cool and just like an exchange of ideas. So anyway, what was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to do exactly that? Just say, sure. And just, you know, I have a girlfriend or not give him my number or I don't know. Frequently we're parsing uh, what people say versus what they mean. For instance, when people say it's not you, it's me, they mean it's you, right? They're breaking up with you because it's you and they're just trying to be polite, be nice, soften the blow. 
Uh, what does somebody mean when they say, can I have your number? They mean, I would like to fuck you. I would like to date you. I would like to hang out some more with the sexual arc bending toward me getting in your pants. That's what, can I have your number? I'd like to have your number means. And giving your number to that person means you might be willing to fuck them, that you will at least think about fucking them, that in the abstract, at least, and right now, they're a candidate for getting into your pants. Uh, so what do you do at that moment? You're there, you're being social, uh, it didn't seem particularly flirty or sexual to you, dude asks you for your number, or lady asks you for your number. What do you do? You respond honestly. You give them your number if you're thinking about fucking them, if they have a chance, right? If you are already in a relationship, you say, oh, you know, I could give you my number, but I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend or I have a poly quad or whatever it is that you have. So they don't live in false hope. I think it's shitty to give people a fake phone number to get rid of them. I think it's shitty to give somebody your phone number when you didn't mention the boyfriend or girlfriend if indeed you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You can soften the blow. You can, it's not you, it's me it, if you want, by saying, here's my number. I'd love to hang out again. I'm actually, although, you know, in a relationship, so just as friends, you're a really interesting person. Love to hang out some more, but I'm not looking for love. I've got it. Be direct and tell the truth. In that case, there's some cases where you don't want to tell the truth, and we'll get to those uh, later in the show. Hey, Dan. Basically, uh, I had this relationship with this wonderful girl who I was with for about a year and a half, and we moved in together, and we loved each other, and we just looked forward to seeing each other every day, and we got along so well, and we were talking marriage, and and we we had amazing sex every night. I mean, it was unbelievable, and she was, she's 22 and I'm 28, but it didn't matter. You know, I mean, I know it does. And, um, I mean, all of my friends and my family and everybody was surprised by it, but everybody was amazed by it. People used to say, why can't we have that? Anyway, the point is she went away for a little while for a job and her boss made a move and she accepted it and carried on an affair and when she got back, even the guy's married, she she's decided to end the relationship. And I'm very distraught. I forgave what she did, but she doesn't want to be with me. And I'm very scared that I'll never find anything like that again. And it's very difficult to know that I found happiness and it's gone. It's just so hard. Nothing I can say is going to take the pain you're feeling right now away. Only time uh, will help. Only time will heal the pain. Only time will put this pain in perspective. Time and experience. You will meet other women. You will have other relationships. Um, this one wasn't meant to be. You were really invested in her. You were really invested in the both of you as a couple, and it came to shit, and that is painful. Everyone listening empathizes. Almost everyone to a man and a woman and uh, some other point along the gender spectrum has been through what you're going through now, uh, which is not to minimize your pain. It is acute. Anyone who's experienced this, and almost all of us have, 
know that it is searing, that it is common doesn't mean it is nothing, doesn't mean it, is, it isn't painful or you shouldn't have these feelings. You have to have them. The only thing I think I can offer you comfort around is when you say, I found happiness and it's gone. You didn't find happiness. It's not some fucking pot of gold at the end of a rainbow that you found and now it's gone because somebody burst in and stole your pot of gold. Happiness was something that you created with this girl. You built that. You did it. You have that skill. You have that ability to attach to someone, to fall in love with someone, to create something good with someone. All of those good things that we create when we have relationships, they're not always lasting. It was good for as long as it lasted, but not all of them last all of our lives. You had a good thing. You should treasure it in your memory. That it ended isn't proof that you're damaged or that you're incapable of love or that it won't happen again. It's actually proof of the opposite. That it happened is proof that it can happen again. It's not getting hit by lightning. Look around in your life at all the people you know. Look at how many people you know who are married for the second time or are married but married only once but were in other relationships prior to meeting the person that they fell in love with, who've been dumped by other people that they were in love with prior to meeting the person that they fell in love with and married or partnered with permanently or whatever. Your tale can have a happy ending provided that in time, when the first wave of pain subsides, you begin to put it in perspective. Even if you have to force yourself, you have to will it. You have to will yourself to put it into perspective. I think the thing for you to focus on is not that you tripped over happiness one day and now it's gone, but that you found somebody with whom you could create happiness. There are 3.5 billion other women on the planet. You will find another woman that you can create that kind of happiness with. You brought that to the table, as did she. You two created that together. You and someone else can create that same kind of happiness, provided you don't attach too much cosmic or existential importance to the end of this relationship. Every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. This one did. Go find your next one. Maybe that one won't. Hi, Dan. I am a 28-year-old heterosexual woman, and I've been married to my husband for almost a year. We've been together for almost five. And I recently found out that he has been um, communicating with several other women um, online and through Google Voice um, about a fetish that he has never talked to me about. Um, The fetish, I know you love to hear what the fetishes are, so it is about driving and he likes to masturbate or have the woman jack him off while he plays her breast while she's driving. Um, so while not necessarily my thing, it's not a deal breaker and I could definitely get aroused by the fact that he's aroused. Um, and I know that he's met women in person for this and he, um, it's been more than one and I have seen the messages and stuff and he's come clean and I've, I've talked to him about, uh, maybe being in an open relationship or monogamish or whatever. And he's not very interested. Um, also. I had realized in 
like his messages that generally it he doesn't talk to many women for very long because they get tired of him because he either he was paying them to to drive like he wanted to fill up their gas tank or whatever um and most women would get tired of him because he a wouldn't pay them anymore or b he wouldn't have sex with them so they didn't want to talk to him anymore and most of his conversations he would always reiterate that he was a happily married man um and that he just wanted them to drive so while maybe you know he didn't sleep with anybody else and that may not be like the worst thing in the world the fact that this this honesty has been there is kind of hard for me to swallow and um, I'm just wondering what your opinion on it is. Like, can we get the trust back in this relationship? You know, has it been so long? Is this just something that was a habit because he had done it since high school and he's now 35? Um, I guess, what's your opinion? First things first, I'll say what a lot of listeners are thinking. Uh, you say that your husband, when you talked about this kink and talked about the cheating, uh, you offered an open or monogamous marriage and he said he's not interested in an open or monogamous marriage, which is funny since he's in one, since he has an open slash monogamous marriage. Uh, you didn't know you were in a monogamous relationship with your husband, but you were. And he perhaps doesn't want to formally agree to monogamous me with you because while he was running around doing this sexual thing with other women, he doesn't want you running around doing any sexual things with other men. All that said, why would you know someone who's married to a woman who's clearly GGG, who might be up for monogamishimi, run around like this and cheat to get this need of his met? This very particular and, frankly, peculiar kink. But one I'm familiar with, one I've heard about before. There are people who have driving fetishes. You know, whatever it is, if it exists anywhere in the world, an activity, an object, a thing, a fabric, a material, a social dynamic, whatever it is, somebody somewhere is jacking off about it. So some people are into cars or turned on by cars, turned on by being in cars. A lot of young people have formative sexual experiences in cars and that lasts them all their lives. They imprint on it sexually. But also, even though a lot of us have kinks and a lot of people have peculiar sexual fetishes, people are often really afraid of revealing those kinks and sexual fetishes to people they care about, to people whose opinion of them really matters, to someone that they're in love with. A lot of people with crazy ass or peculiar or really weird or hard to explain kinks have an easier time sharing that with someone they don't know and aren't going to see ever again because that person's opinion is meaningless. You tell some stranger on Craigslist that you want to fill up her gas tank and jack off as she drives around and she says, ooh, weird, go away. You go away and you tell it to somebody else until you find the woman who wants to let you fill up her tank. You tell that to your wife and she says, ooh, go away. You tell that to your girlfriend and she says, ooh, go away. That matters. That's painful. And there are a lot of people out there who have been kink shamed or fetish shamed about their shit by their significant others once or twice or many, many times. And that can instill a fear of opening up to your intimate partner about your kinks. So it's easier to have the intimate partner relationship, to have the vanilla sex you also enjoy and to compartmentalize, to go do the crazy, weird off the wall thing with people who don't matter to you and you're never going to see again. And it's easier to rationalize doing that if the interaction is 100% safe and you're not putting your partner at any risk of anything. Easier to do that 
then tell the wife and risk rejection, divorce, judgment, shame, risk queering or fucking up your sex life for the rest of your lives. And that's probably what he was doing. Ask him if that's what he's doing. Don't play this for him first before you ask him, but ask him if that's what was up. And I bet that was. So now what do you do? You say, this isn't your thing, not a deal breaker. What you mean by that is you would be willing to drive around with him and let him jack off. Maybe that'll work for him. Maybe he really would like to do it just with you, but maybe part of the kink for him is a woman he's never going to see again. Maybe part of it is a strange woman, a woman who's actually sitting there beside him thinking, what a freak, right? Maybe that's part of the dirty boy kink for him. If that's part of it, then what do you do? Do you give him permission to go and do this with women? I don't know. I got a letter many years ago from a woman whose boyfriend revealed to her that he was a foot fetishist and he sometimes went to foot parties where pretty ladies would stand around in high heels or bare feet while guys like him groveled on the floor. And she wanted him to stop and he didn't want to stop. And she wrote me and asked what he should do or what they should do. And I said, he should go to the parties and you should shrug it off. Nothing's happening at that party. He's getting a very particular Need meant that one woman alone in her shoes or stocking feet can't meet for him and it's safe. And yes, it's dirty and sexy and it doesn't involve you, but policing him for the rest of your life, denying him this thing that is, although you can't understand it, hugely important to him and gives him great joy. Why? So if this thing is hugely important to him, gives him great joy, not something you would dig, something that's easily outsourced, something that if it can be done in moderation, takes nothing away from you. If he's not spending so much on gas that you guys can't make the rent and the utilities and put some money aside for retirement, maybe you just let him do it. So long as he tells you about it and discloses it to you, perhaps involves you in a way that is sexy for you and sexy for him. If this is indeed something that you being GGG or monogamous can tap into. And I think you say to him, if there's ever a thing that comes up for me that involves someone else in a similar sort of way where me doing it isn't going to take anything away from you or put you in any sort of risk, I think I should have that right. I should have the same license that you have, the same license that you took that now I am extending to you and retroactively giving my blessing to in the future if something should come up. I'm one of those women who, when she turns 40, suddenly develops some kink for blank I'm going to want your blessing and you're going to owe it to me. You want my opinion? That's my opinion. I take a lot of calls from people who aren't like me exactly. It's not just a sex advice show with a gay guy, a white cis gay guy giving advice to other white cis gay guys. Sometimes I give advice to straight people and bisexual people and transgender people and crazy people, insane people. Um, but every once in a while, we like to bring somebody on this show who's awesome uh, and could give advice to anybody just to like knock a few out of the park in their own little ball ground. So joining, pardon me, their own little ballpark, the sports metaphors I am not good with. So joining me today, Cameron Esposito. She's a stand-up comic and writer who has a new album that comes out today, released today, October 7th, my birthday, called Same Sex Symbol um, on the venerated indie music label Kill Rockstars. Uh, Cameron is amazing and hilarious. If she's coming to your town, go see her stand-up act. If she's not coming to your town or she is coming to your town, get her album, Same Sex Symbol, released today. Thank you for jumping on the phone, Cameron. Oh, Dan, I didn't know it was your birthday, and I'm so happy to be here on your birthday show. But you didn't get me anything. 
No, I didn't. Well, I got you my beautiful voice, which is very deep and masculine for a woman. So I think that <laughs> should kind of be up your alley. Okay, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna play with my nipples while you talk. Yeah. Is that all right? Well, I mean, if I we were closer, to I would do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> would that be gay if like a, 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 a lesbian with a side mullet, which is your hairstyle, and everybody needs to Google your name right now to see the most amazing lesbian haircut ever, the side <laughs> mullet? Would it be gay if a lesbian with a side mullet was playing with a gay man's nipples? Well, you know, obviously. So many people are attracted to taboos, and I think sometimes as a lesbian, one of my biggest taboos is, like, men's bodies, because mm-hmm. they're so foreign to me and kind of gross, but also in a really good way. So, like, wait, yes, wait. I think... Are you shaming men's... But Did you just say that men's bodies are gross? Yeah, I think men's bodies are gross. Can I, <laughs> can I say that I feel the same way about women's bodies? Because it's much... Yeah. It's dicier for me to say it, because I'm saying it in the context of a no. culture that shames women about their bodies and has for right. millennia. But, you know, when I'm honest, it's like, yeah, yeah, pussy squicks me out. What can I do about that? Well, I guess I would I – th- I think it's more like this for me. Like, I can appreciate men's bodies. I think they are beautiful, like, as a statue. I just don't want them on me. So whatever, that's the word the, – the word gross really replies to in my hands. You know what I mean? Okay, so if, men, if men stay perfectly still, you're okay with yeah. that. If we're all just statues – it's a game of statue, and you said freeze, and men don't move. Absolutely. That's why I love to watch uh, gay male porn. I actually totally do. Because it's like static. I mean, they're moving, but they're on a computer, so they can't come near me. So men either have to stand perfectly still or be (laughs) two-dimensional, and it's cool with you. Yes, yes. I'm really good at objectifying the male body. <laughs> well, I feel the same way about women. Okay. So would you, uh, we, we wanted you on the show to like give some sex advice because really this sex advice shit, anybody can do it. The only qualification you need to give sex advice is somebody asked you for your advice. Look up advice in dictionary. It says opinion about what could or should be done. Literally any idiot can give sex advice. And today you're going to be that idiot. I hope that's okay with oh, you. Oh, and what an idiot I am. Hi, Dan. Um, my girlfriend and I have a question about etiquette. So we were just at a popular lesbian bar in our area, and uh, we were talking over some drinks, and some guy just sort of butt into our conversation. And so I talked, he was an engaging guy, seemed pretty nice, but uh, we both felt a little uncomfortable because we weren't sure if he was hitting on us, and if we'd have to, if we talked to him, we'd eventually have to tell him we weren't interested in him sexually and it was kind of a weird vibe so we sort of got out of the conversation and went away but then we were both talking like what if he just wanted to be friends so uh we're not really sure like you know we could have lost an opportunity for a great friendship because of our man phobia and i wondered if you'd be interested or willing to weigh in on this and tell us if we were wrong or uh, what we should do in a future situation to you know make sure that we don't you know crush some guy's feelings by leading him on, but also so we don't lose a friend opportunity. Does that sound like lesbian man phobia to you, Cameron, that they uh, walked away from this dude in the lesbian bar who wanted to talk? No, I really think what's going on here is actually sex, sexism, honestly. Like, they're internalized sexism towards themselves. I mean, I think they use the word girlfriends. I was kind of assuming maybe they were on some sort of date and they were chatting to each other. They also use the term butted in. Like, they didn't say, we kicked it over to him and asked him a question and invited him in. Really, the way they were setting this up was, like, they were having a conversation, they were on their own vibe, and a guy came over to talk to them. I think it's fine to not want to immediately become friends with every man that you walk past. I I just think it's a little strange that they felt so guilty about this. And I think that's uh, women not trusting themselves about their feelings, um, about their own time. You know what I mean? Like... Their time is valuable. 
And trusting your gut. Like dudes in yeah. lesbian bars who walk up to women initiate conversations are not looking for friends, usually. No, I would say most people in bars are not in bars to meet random friends, right? It's, it's Bars are generally like you go with a group of friends or you're there to meet a sex partner. I mean, certainly people go and meet friends in bars all the time. I'm just saying, I think it's okay to assume somebody might want to have sex with you. I think that's, I don't think that's a wild assumption. And the way she's kind of hemming and hawing in this, I just, I hope she listens to this call again and realizes like, gal, you know, you, this is your own life. Please don't, I hope not every decision feels like this to her, you know, well, the, whatever, when it comes to dudes. She clearly hasn't finished shrugging off the way women are socialized to be deferential to men, to not ever say no to men, to always give men the benefit of the doubt. And she, I think you totally know it. She's sitting there feeling guilty because what if the guy wasn't after what he most likely was after and they were shitty to him? And women are never allowed to be shitty to men, even be shitty to men who are literally being shitty to them. The guy is being shitty to you, butting into your conversation, but two women in a dyke bar having a conversation, he inserts himself into it, probably because he wants to insert himself into you, and that's shitty, and you're allowed to be shitty back. Absolutely. Also, I would say she didn't sound like she was shitty. She just said, like, and then we just didn't want to talk to him for a while. We were real polite. We maybe even bought him a drink, and then we said goodbye. Like, I love that that's how sad and guilty women feel about treating men in any way less than laying down for them. You know, like if, if she had just laid down on the ground in this bar and just said, do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, is, that, is that the only thing that she would have accepted from herself? Let's talk about, like she was perfectly nice. Let's talk about the other issue though, that this kind of raises straight people in queer bars. Pro or con? You know, I, I will say this. I think, uh, I think you just have to be on your best behavior. I really think that's what I would say. If you're going with a gay friend as an ally or with a queer friend as an ally or just like to be in a different culture, I mean, that's, that's fine. But I do think that walking up to a group of lesbians, if you're a dude by yourself, you're walking up to a group of lesbians in a lesbian bar, you should realize that that's like one of the only spaces that we have to really feel protected and to really feel like we kind of control the room. Mm -hmm. And so I reject that. You know, I don't reject like the presence of women. I don't reject the presence of your sister coming with you to a gay bar, but I do reject, you know, the idea of the bachelorette party. There's a difference. But, you know, I actually used to think, oh, a straight person in a gay bar, isn't that great? Oh, look, a straight guy who's so down with his gay friends. He's so, like, not homophobic that here he is or here she is with her gay friends in the gay bar. And I used to be really, like, pro it. And you know what? I'm kind of coming around to the con side because because of percentages and numbers. It used to be that that straight friend who was so comfortable with his gay friends that he would go to a gay bar was rare. So you would occasionally right. run into a straight person in a gay bar. And now sometimes you go out to a gay bar and it's like half the motherfuckers in here are straight <laughs> guys and straight girls and it's too much. Like, back the fuck off for five yeah. minutes. Well, absolutely. I also think there's a lot of cool new, like, queer spaces that are much more mixed. And I would really advocate for those. If you're looking for, if you're looking for a way to interact with gay people that really feels like being an ally, maybe don't, like, go into a leather bar as if you're visiting a zoo. But instead, just look for, like, queer dance parties in your neighborhood. A lot of oh my God, you're bigger taking- cities... You're taking the words right out of my mouth. In a column recently, mm-hmm. I said, go to the Cha-Cha Palace, go to the Mix Club. But if it's a, like a dark and sleazy queer pickup joint, which are all men joints, there's no, none of those for lesbians usually. <laughs> right. But it's a dark and sleazy pickup joint. You know, your girlfriends from work, we don't want – that's not for them. And it's you not know, for I, a straight couple. I say all of this, Dan, but 
I don't know if you know this about me. I am the only uh, person with an F on their driver's license to ever have gone into Steamworks Chicago. Uh, how did you because make that I, happen? I did a show in there once. <laughs> I did a show. <laughs> so Steamworks Chicago is like a very legendary um, bathhouse, and you're not allowed to go in if you have an F on your driver's license, only if you have an M. And I did a show in there, but the amazing thing was while I was performing, I was facing the showers. <laughs> So there's an audience looking at me, but I was looking at these dudes that were showering. Oh, my God. You're like the lesbian Bette Midler of the new millennium. I am. That's what I've always been shooting for. Bette, Bette Midler famously performed at bathhouses in New York when she was just starting out. And here you are performing at bathhouses in Chicago. You are old school. I am old school. Yeah. New school, old school. Hi, Ben. I am a bisexual from Florida. I haven't had... I've have had a four-year relationship with a lesbian. Unfortunately, she has not come out yet. And in the course of those four years, I did cheat. And I have kids because of that. So it got a little muddy and complicated because now I have kids and this guy in the middle of my relationship. But most of my frustration comes from the fact that she's still in the closet and I, of course, crave a certain stability, and I want to create a life. I, I want to have someone to come home to. I, I want to set our life with someone. And she, at first, was in college, so she was like, wait till I graduate. Which I graduate. She has proceeded to graduate, and I still haven't seen her motivated to get a place together or get her life on track. I don't want to feel like, I'm telling her what to do, but I feel stuck. I don't want to be with someone who isn't happy with who they are, but is okay with the status quo. She's okay with living with her parents and them paying for everything. It's like she doesn't take responsibility of herself, her property. Like, I am a really independent person. I bought my first car like I didn't have any of the things that I see that she takes advantage of and not to put it down I'm glad that her parents are alive or not and they're you know they're there for her and everything works out great but she hasn't come out yet and they still keep expecting her to date a man and get married and all that and I'm the weird friend with two kids who's always around for parties and special occasions like I just need help to see what I can do. I really love her, and I have been in love with her since I met her. Um, I'm extremely turned off by the fact that she isn't fulfilled as a person. Wow. Um, this this call is hard to listen to for me because of the kids in the picture here. I just think she's very focused on herself, um, getting her needs met and also her partner who clearly I would, I would hope would eventually come out, but also there are kids that essentially are being co-parented by these. It sounds like the kids know this girlfriend and Mm -hmm. they, the kids also know the girlfriend's parents, which would sort of be their grandparents. So their grandparents don't know that they are their grandparents. (laughs) I mean, if you want stability in your life, Great. If you want stability in your partner's life, great. But these kids, these are the kids. These kids are are the ones that are going to suffer. 
they need more stability than this. No kids should have to feel like their parents are in such a shameful relationship that even their own families don't know who they are. I completely agree. Other people are in this situation, though, where there aren't kids involved. It sounds like the, the father of these kids is, is also involved. The more grown-ups in a kid's life, the better. I don't think necessarily complicated family structures or having three parents or two couples raising kids together is bad for a kid. But more grown-ups is better. I don't think somebody who's closeted and living at home with mommy and daddy is a grown-up. Absolutely. I would also say that, you know, I, I, I'll be very real with you. I have a past as a cheater, you know, earlier in my life when I was still trying to figure out my own sexuality and I was very confused about how to cobble together the relationship that I wanted. And I think the thing is, is you can't, you can't, you can't make a relationship from several parts that lasts forever, unless that's intentionally what you're doing. So if you're dating many people because that's what you want to do and you have multiple partners because that's what you want to do. That's one thing. But just to pick and choose, you know, all this cheating that she's talking about, that that to me shows that, that this relationship really is never going to be satisfying for her. Well, all this cheating or just one cheat that resulted in twins or triplets or quadruplets? You're right. I mean, I guess if you want to resulted in twins, you're totally right. I guess I thought maybe when she said two kids, that that was possible, <laughs> but because I'm a lesbian, I don't understand how babies work. Cheating but, happens, uh, and it happens so often that, you know, it really is a skill to develop to forgive somebody for cheating, because if you're in a long-term committed relationship at some point, odds are one or the other or both of you will cheat. And what then? And if you go into a relationship saying, if cheating ever happens, a relationship is over, you've already written its death warrant at the start. No, I agree with you. I guess it was the way she was describing the cheating because she wasn't saying, I, I guess I felt like she didn't seem to have evolved past understanding why she did. Does that make any sense? Like, mm -hmm. it, if, you're, if her relationship was really satisfying her in that partner way, because she said, I want a partner and I want all these things, so she, she looked elsewhere. I'm not saying that you shouldn't forgive your partners, but, but just have that conversation. Why did this happen? And then, like, what do we need to do? What kind of accommodations or what kind of scenario can we set up so that this isn't... So what that, happens in the future. Right. And even if you are having sex with other people in the future, it isn't cheating. If we right, exactly. arrived at an accommodation, that's what accommodation means in this context. Right. Um, that's does exactly she, what I'm talking about. Do you, would you advise somebody in a situation like this, maybe not these particular specifics, <laughs> to, to pull, you know, press the button, say you either come out or it's over? I mean, I have always been a you either come out or it's over person, really. I mean, since I, since I was coming, since my early, early 20s, which is when I was coming out, me too. I just can't imagine living like that. I, for the person who is in the closet and for the, the person who's also closeted because they're in the relationship with them. Exactly. Every, every day of your life and every conversation you have, I mean, I'm not out when I'm ordering a bagel, but I also am. You know, if somebody's like, who's this for? I'm like, my fiance. You know, that, that means something to me to be able to talk to people about the person I am. I, to me, that sounds like, it sounds miserable. What closet cases who date out of closet cases don't realize or don't seem to realize that they're asking, is you're asking that person to go back in the closet for you. And the closet is not a place that anybody who's left it is anxious to return, nor should they ever have to return to. So you, you can, I think, get a buy for a year or two, maybe, but you have to be coming out. It has to be understood that the end game here is you're out, not your out partner is closeted for the rest of their life because you're a coward who's afraid of mommy and daddy or paying your own bills. Right, especially when kids are involved. I guess that's why I was hammering that home so hard at the beginning is, you know, these kids are going to get older. They will now have to be closeted about the relationship that their mom is in, and they'll have to be closeted to the grandparents that they know. Yeah. It just sounds like a disaster for those children as well to have to live their lives like that.
Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old, mostly gay woman calling from uh, Sydney, Australia. I've been with my partner for three and a half years, one of which was long distance until which we've been living together. This morning, my partner came home and told me that she'd slept with someone else. I'm calling not because the sex is an issue, but um, all of the relationships that I've been in, whether with men or with women, have been some form of open. Um, my partner and I have discussed this, and we've had sort of two caveats. One, uh, which was put forward by my partner, which is that if you're interested in someone, you need to discuss it beforehand, that you have to discuss if something's going to happen with someone. Mine was that I would prefer it not to be in a social circle because that's caused drama for me in the past. That's been an issue of a bit of contention because my partner identifies as slightly more gay, I guess you could say, than I do. And, you know, it's hard with us lesbians. I'm saying it, you're not, that we sort of all know each other or end up sleeping with each other. What I found out this morning is that my partner had unprotected anal sex with a man from her work. Um, they had anal sex because... Uh, she told him that she wasn't on the pill. I, I don't even know if it was a conversation about condoms, but they were both drunk and high. But what I really should mention is that my partner and I both suffer from depression and anxiety. We're both medicated, and we both have been in and out of therapy, and I'm trying to deal with it. When she told me, it was really obvious that there was something going on for her in her life, and perhaps this was some kind of response to that. You know, and I held her and I told her, you know, I love her and it's okay because obviously she was really, really hurting. But my concerns are that uh, she's put me at really great physical risk by having unprotected sex. I've been a sex educator and have suffered from STIs, curable ones, in the past. And this is a sensitive issue for me. Also that she's broken her own rules when she said, hey, I want to know first. Um, I feel really betrayed by that. And um, also, I'm really concerned about her behavior because this involved drugs and alcohol. And, you know, sometimes she crashes places because she's had too much drink and doesn't want to come home and whatever else it is. But this seems like she's gotten to a point where somebody else comes out and that's what she's told me. Anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I generally feel unsafe and betrayed and really concerned and my question is, what do I do next? How do I make trust again? How do I make her feel okay? How do I help her out of whatever is troubling her so much? And how do I make it okay for me? Cameron, in the last answer, you admitted to having cheated in the past, yes. in, the, in the distant past. Um, <laughs> Sometimes so, not even that distant. <laughs> so, so as the as the as a cheater, and I cheated too in, in earlier relationships. So uh, you know, people cheat. Me too. I don't do it anymore. I found that honesty is better than weaseling around. What's your advice to this person who has cheated on as a cheater? What should she know? What should she do? Right. Well, I I think what changed in me was that I started to hate myself for my own cheating. I mean, I wasn't in a good place. That's what that reflected. Learning over time, that's what that reflected to me. Yes, I was hurting people around me, but I also was in a terrible place to be able to do that to myself, you know, because you really can't look yourself in the mirror and feel good about yourself when you're hurting the person you're supposed to love the most. So yes, I also am no longer a cheater and I, and I have built in, you know, conversations and honesty, um, in my relationship and, and that just has made me like myself better. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it sounds to me from the way she's describing everything 
with her partner. I mean, the rear entry sex, which I, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even know lesbians had buttholes, much less anal sex. Yeah, this I mean, we totally to me. use them. They feel great. News to me. See what you don't mm-hmm. know when you don't ever get intimate yeah. with uh, one particular sex Ab- or the other. Absolutely. Um, no, I think women have butt sex with each other all the time. I'm not even kidding. Point of, clarifi- 100% true. point of clarification, though, when you say that you no longer cheat because you, know, you, you couldn't look yourself in the mirror, you couldn't be honest, I feel the same way. But what I realized was it wasn't you know, that I was failing at monogamy. Monogamy was failing me. This wasn't right for me. I was trying to do something I couldn't do. And sure. when I stopped trying to do that thing, then I wasn't cheating anymore. But I wasn't in sexually exclusive relationships anymore. That the Absolutely. way to the way to avoid cheating was to rethink the relationship model that worked for me and that was honest and loving and open and no deceit, no betrayal, no hypocrisy. Right. Well, cheating really means lying, right? I mean, in this case, she told her, but the night before, you know, she. I guess she lied, you know, to herself when she went through with this. I think that I think that's the distinction I'm also talking about because I'm not talking about. Sure, you can build in having things outside of your relationship, absolutely, but the, it's the lying part that will catch up with you. Um, and it also sounds like this woman has a real problem with drugs and alcohol because the, spe- the specificity here that she doesn't sleep at home a lot, that she, again, like the rear entry sex, like that doesn't sound like a fun and flirty tryst like the fact that they were both so drunk and then they had sex and they like slept over and she also doesn't even say what types of drugs were used she kind of edits out what she hints that it's not a drug that people would regard as benign yes so i think especially because she she also said that that her partner was she thought um more tended to be more gay on the spectrum um so that sounds like that's inconsistent behavior to her personality. So I think that that's also always when you have to start worrying about somebody's drug and alcohol use is when they're doing things that they wouldn't typically do or that don't really make sense for them. But it doesn't really make sense for for me. I'm going to pin you down on this though. The question from the caller is how do I trust somebody uh, who cheats and has a drug and alcohol problem? I don't (laughs) think you can. I don't think you can in that situation. I think that she has to get help. Yeah, Yeah. I don't, I don't know that there's a, there's not a situation where, this isn't a trust issue in my mind. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's not like a, this isn't a simple, I went off and I kissed somebody and it was lovely, but I thought of you. You know, like, this is like <laughs> some raw stuff where she's editing out some of the details. And you, and, think, and so your advice is basically dump the motherfucker. Like this is it. This is over. I think you have to set, I think you also, I think you have to think about your own health and the health of your partner. I think you have to dump this person or give this person the ultimatum of getting treatment. Do lesbians have a problem? Ending relationships. <laughs> do you hear the laughter in my voice? Absolutely. Yeah, of course we do. Uh, I, I, I said that once in a column and I got jumped on for, you know, promoting a, a stereotype, a vicious and brutal stereotype about lesbians. It's true that, that like, you know, gender is crazy and there's 3.5 billion men, 3.5 billion women. There'll be hundreds of millions of exceptions to sort of gendered norms, whether they're nature, nurture, socialization or whatever. But women tend to be the nurturers. Women tend to tinker on the relationship. You put two of those people together and the tinkering can go on way past any reasonable point. Absolutely. I also think there's another thing going on where – you know, women are, from the time we are babies, we are taught to have really, really close relationships with other women. 
kind of in a way that men aren't. You know, men are supposed to sit next to each other on the couch and watch football. And women are supposed to go out to dinner across the table from each other and look at each other and tell each other all their secrets and be so connected. So I'm not saying that gay male partners can't be best friends, Mm -hmm. but I think something else that happens a lot with lesbians is that you develop these really, really deep familial relationships and friendships with your partner. And so then when you're ending your sexual relationship, you are also losing a family member, and I think that can get really difficult for women. That's why all, like, I know so many lesbians that are such good friends with their exes. Whereas when, they, so when a gay guy breaks friend. up with his ex, it's like throwing a flashlight in the trash, like over your shoulder <laughs> into the bin. I mean, I don't know whether that's, that's true, but I do know that, that, I mean, I know where every single one of my exes is right now. Not right now. I don't mean that. That's not very creepy. I mean, I know what they're doing in the most Because they're, they're, the, they're all under the cement slab of your patio yeah, in the back of your absolutely. house. Hi, Dan. I am a cisgendered, white, super straight female from the Midwest. So by all rights, I shouldn't ever have to worry about coming out to my family. However, I have recently had a situation come to a head that I kind of thought would be problematic and I just don't know what to do about it. So I, as I mentioned, I'm from a small town um, and I have a first name. Most people do. Um, My first name was randomly picked by my mom because she just kind of likes it, Um, but it's never really meant anything to me and it has never really felt like my name. The way that I think about it is that This first name is the name I was given when I was born, and the name I identify with now is the name, like, it's the symbol of all the things that I've become. So I'm planning on on changing my first name. I'm planning on getting it legally changed. I have been identified by this first name for probably 14 years now. Legally, it's not my first name, but my last name is unique enough that I can get away with having my nickname, as it were, on a whole bunch of documentation. Um, People at college know me by this nickname. People I work with know me by this nickname. This is the one that I use on social media. This is my personal brand. This is, I'm a contractor, so my personal brand is a big thing. This is the name and the identity that I have put all my energy into for the last 15 years. I've also moved from this small town. My family is, they know I have this nickname, but they haven't really come to terms with the fact that I'm serious about changing it. And my cousin, who I'm super close with, and I just kind of came to verbal blows tonight. Lots of really shitty logic, like I'm making a choice to disrespect my family, and I'm being rude, and it's coming from a pretty selfish place. But like I said, they're from a small town, and I don't know if she's known anybody ever who have wanted to legally change their first name. Um, And if she has heard of the situation, she's probably heard of it in regards to transgender people who have chosen a different identity for themselves. And in that case, you can kind of justify it as, oh, well, this was who you were all along and we just didn't know it. And of course, that name doesn't make sense anymore. But being cis and being straight, I don't have any of that biology to kind of back this up. So now I feel like I'm stuck in this place where I have to choose between being identified by this name only when I'm not around family and kind of being disrespected every time I go home or 
not have a family. So I was just wondering what your advice is for someone who chooses to change their name, but where it's not coming from a biological area. I know that you say that as adult children, we have leverage and that leverage is not being around someone. It's the joy of being around me. And I am, I'm willing to put that ultimatum down, but I just, I guess I don't know how to explain to this person what a name means to someone and why someone would choose to change it and why it's not disrespectful. She's a really good person. She's a very loving person. I just don't think she gets it. And I don't know how to make her get it because I've been surrounded by so many GLBT people that, you know, I just, I just get it. Like it makes complete sense to me. And I don't know how to talk to someone who doesn't make sense to. I, this one, yeah, let's both hem and haw for a second and and bang our heads (laughs) on the table. Cause as queer people, really you, this caller equating her struggle to legally change her name and her, you know, in the face of her cousin's disapproval, equating that with like LGBT people and the oppression that, that we've faced is a little insulting. I mean, I guess, especially the trans, because she also kind of talks about trans people having to, or choosing to change their name uh, to reflect Sometimes you hear in trans land that, you know, the, the sex I was coercively assigned at birth. And here you have this woman basically acting like, here's the name I was coercively assigned at birth. Oh, I, and I guess maybe the, maybe the reason that we're having such a, an adverse reaction to this is because I, I can't figure out what the real stakes are in this. Do you, you know, like it, it just feels like if she said to her family, this is my name, you call me by this name, uh, this is my name. You know, you just... You hold firm on that. And if you have one and, fucking cousin who won't call you by that name, yeah, who gives a shit? How often do you see your goddamn cousins? And you know, well, the, it sounds like a lot. The, <laughs> the, 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 her family being very close to her. But, I mean, still, I don't. And, and, and do they even need to know that you legally changed your name? You go to court and you get your name changed. You don't have to send. I changed my name cards to your fucking relatives who may have an issue about it, who already know that you use this other name socially, you use it on social media, your friends where you live know you by this name. You don't have to, like, rent the Goodyear blimp to circle your hometown with, I changed my name legally now on it, unless you're just so in love with the idea that you're somehow oppressed too. Right, or unless you, you know, have this family structure set up where you can't do anything to upset your family. Because that's another thing that I kind of read into with this call was just this kind of control that her family has over her that, like, they have to all sign off on every decision. Did, did you kind of almost see that where it's just like, I mean, as you, when you become an adult, you just get to you just get to choose what your name is. If that's what you want to do, you can choose what your name is. You get to choose what job you have. If you're lucky, you know, you get to choose where you live. Right. If you're able to do that, like these are just things that these are irrefutable truths that you can choose these things. And she's almost so arguing that she's more oppressed than a trans person because she doesn't have a really good reason. Because, you know, <laughs> somebody who's trans who changes their name right. changes oh. it to one that reflects their true gender identity I know. and and so they can go to their families and say you can't call me bob because that induces it induces dysphoria and it's you know mentally damaging to me you have to call me susan and she just has to go to her family and says this is the name i prefer and she's the more oppressed one and, or or equally oppressed because she doesn't have a good reason like those trans people have just grow the fuck up grow the fuck right. up i mean pick your name use it if there's some people in your family who have a problem with it welcome to the club 
Absolutely. And maybe just assess the fact that you shouldn't live every moment and every decision and every thing in your life for your family's approval. I mean, I hope you're not like sending them pictures of the people you're hooking up with. Like, <laughs> I mean, just think about all the things you leave your family out of, you know? I hope you eat your own meals. I hope you do these things for yourself. I hope she chews her own <laughs> food. I hope she chews her own food. I hope she has a rental agreement somewhere. I mean, these are these are things that you just you just just do it. Just do your own thing, gal. You got this. We're being, don't don't stress. Are we you being are we being mean queers to this person? Well, maybe when you're gay. I mean, I'll say this. When I came out to my parents, I'm from a conservative Catholic family, Italian. I let them down enormously in their own minds in that time of what they expected for me for the future. Now, since then, I mean, we have an amazing relationship. My dad is the first person to call me the morning when Doma was overturned. He called me at like 6 o'clock in the morning while he was driving with a business associate because he heard on the radio. He called me to be like, I'm so excited for you and Rio, who's my fiancé. So there's movement, you know, that all families can make. But I do think that as a child, you know, letting your family down or letting their expectations down isn't always a bad thing because it's really when you become your own person. You know, you can have a family that's very close and they can want things for you, but if that's not what's going on with you, you can't make compromises for the rest of your life. Cameron Esposito, follow her on Twitter. Go to your website, which is... CameronEsposito.com. So easy to remember. And order her new album, Same Sex Symbol, from Kill Rockstars. Cameron, thank you so much for taking some calls today with us, and I hope you come back. Oh, Dan, I just have to say on record that you um, have been an, an extremely influential person in my life, and you're part of the reason that it became possible for me to come out. Uh-huh. So it's always lovely to talk to you. That's very sweet of you to say, and I am from a conservative Catholic family, Irish in Chicago, and we have that in common. Yes, we do, my friend. Hi, Dan. I was just calling in response to this last podcast, a woman that was feeling so bad about watching rape fantasies and getting off on them. I could really relate to that. And I just wanted to share something that I found to be helpful. And that was the um, Japanese anime porn, the hentai porn. It's actually really as funny as you want or as naughty as you want or as brutal as you want. You can find all types of that. But there's no one involved in it. They're just voice actors and animators. So that took a lot of the guilt out for me of people actually having to produce that kind of porn. Anyway, it's just a thought. It really helped me. Hi, Dan. I am calling, responding to the guy who called about how to deal with his own jealousy. This is a problem that I had, and it it affects every relationship. And my best advice would be to get into some therapy. For me, it helped to figure out kind of the root of that problem. And, And also, it's not an easy fix. It's hard. You have to sit with that feeling for a while and not act on it because that's what's in your best interest. It's really difficult, but it can be done. And once you kind of free yourself of the jealousy, your relationships will get really good. So good luck. Hi, this is Zoe with some advice for the young man in episode 414 who was asking about ejaculation. I have had two ex-boyfriends that have read that same book and are obsessed with not coming because they think it'll hold in their strong male energy. But I think it is not true. The reason men are tired after sex is because they actually release hormones when they ejaculate that make them tired. And women have energy because they release hormones that make them awake. It is not because the woman is sucking the men's sexual and primal energy out. 
Additionally, it is actually really healthy for the man to ejaculate semen, and it is good for his prostate to empty itself and replenish. So I think for many frustrated girlfriends out there, it's a good advice to not follow that book that was made up before science happened. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Cameron Esposito on Twitter at Cameron Esposito. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 